Good morning. Man, it is so good to see you all. I, I got to tell you, last Sunday for me was so much fun. I got to be part of the worship team, which I've been here for almost 30 years, never been able to do that. And Charlie got to preach. Now, Charlie did an amazing job. Give him a round of applause because it was so good. So much good, insightful information there. Now, now I've stood on this stage for almost 30 years. All right. I mean, I, I, this spot, this stage, whatever, this church uh, for almost 30 years. And I typically do not get nervous. Now, last Sunday, I was standing in almost the same spot a few feet back. And let me say this. You all look so much better from here than you did from back there. You look marvelous. I mean, it's good to see you guys. You know, from back there, I'm like, I'm like, man, okay, so, so I, I, I'm here and, and, and I'm speaking into a microphone, which I do almost every week, and it just felt so different. I mean, I'm in front of people that I love, you all, doing something that I love to do, which is guitar, and I was stinking nervous. It's a new experience for me to, to, to be able to do that. And by the way, the answer is Yes. I was really actually playing the guitar. Uh, I had more people saying, was that Scott Turner up there and you were just faking it? You know, down there. No, that was actually me playing the guitar. I started playing guitar when COVID hit because I needed something that could occupy my mind and, uh, and learn something new. And so uh, I bought a guitar and then I bought another guitar and another guitar and about 20 others since then. And I've got a disease, I buy guitars. And so, and so I've got a bunch of those and I started watching on, on YouTube and started playing a little bit and you know started kind of doing some of that stuff. And then all of a sudden, Scott Turner took me under his wing and Scott actually played bass guitar today. He plays lead guitar a lot for us. He, he took me under his wing and he was kind of teaching me how to do guitar. And, and it, it, was, it was really kind of cool. He, he said a lot of things like this to me. No, not like that, like this. All right, he had to say that a lot to me. But, but uh, he, he's an incredibly encouraging guy. He go, good job, you're doing great, that's exactly right, you've got this. And so it, it was, it was this, this incredible discipling that was happening between Scott and I on guitar. So Scott, thank you. He's sitting out in the audience right now. Thank you for that. Um, I, I thought when, when I started thinking about this whole um, topic of discipleship, of following, I'm looking at that relationship going, that's exactly how it should be working when it comes to our spiritual lives. All right? Somebody teaching, training, showing, being there, correcting. We need to be discipled. And we need someone to disciple us. Now, this is a great definition of disciple. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus, is being changed by him, and is on mission with him. That's a definition of a disciple. All right? Someone who is following Jesus, being changed by him, is on mission with him. And again, this new series today is called Follow, and it's all about growing in our spiritual lives by learning how to be discipled for Jesus and how to disciple someone else for Jesus. If you have your Bibles, version apps, 
And, and honestly, guys, bring those with you every week or get on your phone and open up the Uversion app on there or an iPad because you need to be able to dig in and find these scriptures and know where they are so that you feel like you can connect to Jesus in those ways. It's Matthew chapter 4, and it says this. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Now, do, do you know what it means to be a fisherman? I mean, that's what these guys did for a living. They knew the ins and outs. They knew the, the tricks of the trade. They did it every day of their lives. It was all-consuming. That's who they were. And Jesus said, come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. You see what Jesus is doing right there? He's taking something that they know, something that they're passionate about, something that they have a great understanding of, and he's equating that to something spiritual, and he's bringing them along saying, listen, I'm going to take what you know, and I'm going to challenge you to do something new with it. I'm going to challenge you to fish, not for fish, but to fish for people. And that's so important. He used that moment to make a spiritual connection, to challenge them. And once they left their nets and followed him, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, and, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John, and they were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now think about this for a minute. That is what they do for a living. That's their livelihood. That's how their income, that's how they provide for their families. And Jesus comes along and says, hey, drop everything, follow me, let's go. Now, that's a challenge, right? So what that tells me is this wasn't the first time that they had seen Jesus. They must have been somewhere and they heard Jesus teach. You know, they were kind of following him on the outskirts and Jesus had noticed them. Maybe they saw Jesus do miracles and heal people and heard his teaching and were following. And then he comes and he says, listen, I know who you are and you know who I am. Let's change the world together. And immediately they drop what they're doing. Immediately they left their income. Immediately they left the family business and they're following Jesus. That's pretty cool. Anybody else here like to fish? Anybody? Yeah, I've seen some of you fish. I, I don't know that you really like to fish, but yeah, you like to fish? When, when I was growing up, I, got I became a diabetic when I was eight years old. So I was on insulin, and it was a bad moment for me in my life, and a lot of physical issues. And, and, and some of my family, my mom's side of the family specifically, they, they were all hunters, fishermen, trappers. That's kind of who they were. And they treated me very carefully. Like they, they didn't want me to get hurt. They didn't want me to have a diabetic reaction out in the middle of the woods somewhere kind of thing. And so they kept me out of doing some of the fun things. Kind of feel like Rudolph. They kept me out of the reindeer games, you know. And so they kept me on the sidelines and, and I couldn't hunt. I couldn't fish with them. And maybe it was the fact that if something would have happened to me, my mother would have absolutely ran them into the ground. That might have been more of the fear than, than anything else, right? Because I was her precious baby boy. And if you did anything, you know, you, you were going to be, be in trouble with that. So I had one uncle, though, that risked it. 
And he made sure to take me every chance that he got. He would take me hunting and he would take me fishing. And, and he would even do that privately when none of the other family was around. That was my Uncle Lynn. And, 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 and I love him for that. I still love him today because of that. And he was just good at all that outdoor kind of stuff. Like he could hunt. He'd know where, how, when. He could fish. He'd know where, how, when, all that kind of He could trap. And, and he made sure that he took me. Now, because he was so good at that, it took me a while to catch on trying to watch what he was doing, trying to just pick up what he was doing. But the more I watched and the more I learned, the more I became able to do those things because he knew the exact correct bait to use at different moments. He knew the times of day and the, 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 the times of the year to fish here or at this depth or in this location. And, and he had that great feeling whenever a fish would, would hit the line, he, he could set that hook, no issues at all, right? I, I mean, he was just good at that. And he used to love to fish the old strip mines. Now, I grew up around Pittsburgh, but this was part of Ohio, Caddis, Ohio, up 70 and over. And, and there was a big coal mine is what it was, a coal mine town. And they would go in and strip the ground back and find the coal seams and dig all the coal out of the seam. And then they would put some dirt back and make it, you know, plant some trees or whatever, but some of these strip mines were deep. I mean, they, they were deep, and they'd fill with water, and over the years, just more and more and more fish, but my uncle knew where all the, the ones off the beaten path were. So one day we go, and he's teaching me how to put, it, we were using a rubber worm, how to put the rubber worm on, on the hook, and, and how to, to jig that through the, the, the bottom of the pit, and what to do with that, and all of a sudden, I got the biggest hit on that line, and it took me about five minutes. It felt like five hours. I reeled in a four and a half pound largemouth bass. Now, that's a big largemouth. Well, it's not a big. It's a good size largemouth bass. But for a 12-year-old, it seemed like a shark. I mean, it was that big, you know, when I was reeling that thing in. But, but it was all because he was showing me how to do it. He was teaching me. He was mentoring me. He was discipling me. And that's a family-type relationship, but it's so important to have. Again, when it comes to our spiritual lives, we are called to be disciples of Jesus and to make disciples of Jesus. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus, being changed by him, and is on mission with him. Now, I found this great example, and it works in multiple-type situations, but I love how it works for a discipling relationship. Here's how, how it goes. First is the I, it's at the very bottom on the left. I do, you watch, and then we talk. That's the first step in any discipleship relationship. The second is I do, you help, and we talk. The third is you do, I help, and we talk. The fourth is you do, I watch, and we talk. And the fifth one at the top right is you do, and someone else watches. Now, let's say you want to disciple someone into leading a small group, all right, a, a, a small environment for, for people to get together. Here's what happens. I do, you watch, and we talk. So let's say it's me and a guy named Jason. So Jason, you and I are, are going to do this, and I'm the leader, and Jason, you're the apprentice, all right? So here, here we go. The first time we meet, I'm going to tell Jason simply, why don't you just come to a small group with me? I'm going to lead the group. And all Jason has to do that in that first week is just watch. 
See how I interact with with the people. See what I say. See what I do. Listen to to how I lead. And and then Jason and I are going to talk after the group is done. So maybe it's a a Wednesday night and maybe, you know, your your group was on Sunday and you go out and grab coffee after your kids are in bed and it's a little bit later and you just discuss what happened and you start building a relationship with that person, a discipleship relationship. And so here's the next step. I do, you help, and we talk. So I'm still going to be leading the group and Jason's going to be helping me lead the group. And maybe Jason's going to say, hey, Uh, Are there any prayer concerns today? What can I write down? How can we pray for you? And so he's doing something that might seem uh, not real important, but it is. Because this is Jason's opportunity to kind of process what's happening in this group. And he's helping a little bit. And then we go and talk about it. Tell me, what did you experience? You know, how are you feeling about this? What's going on? Anything happening in your life? So it's not just about the, the small group experience. It's about the person's life as well, all right? And then here, here you go. You do, I help, and we talk. So the third step is that Jason's doing the small group, and I'm going to help him. I'm going to take the prayer requests. I'm going to pass out the, the, the papers or information. And as time goes on, he's taking more and more of the responsibility for that group. And then you go to the next step. You do, I'm going to watch, and then we're going to talk about it. So, Jason does everything. I mean, he's doing everything. He's doing the prayer request. He's passing out the information. He's teaching. He's leading. He's praying for the people. And then we want to sit down over a table and talk. Never forget that last part of this. Sitting down, connecting, and talking is a huge part of discipleship. Because that's where you're able to be open and honest and be able to discuss things that you might not be able to discuss anywhere else. And then here's the the last step of that. Jason does, and somebody else watches. You're doing it, and somebody else is watching you. That's how the cycle continues in discipleship making. So, So what's the time frame for each of these steps? It could be as little as a few weeks, or it could be a few months, or it could be a year. But what you're doing is you're thinking about what the next step is. How do I disciple this person to be a mature follower of Jesus? Now, they're all effective tools, but you can't accomplish anything without a purpose in mind for it. Like, this is how this works. This is what I need to build this relationship because I care about this person, and I want them to be a follower of Jesus, a mature follower of Jesus. So let's look at how Jesus live this discipleship process in his own life. All right, I just randomly, I went through the the Bible and picked out some random scriptures because when you look at Jesus' life and how he interacts with the disciples, the people that he was training and developing to be a disciple, it's the same almost every time. You see some of these steps happening in every experience that Jesus has with them which tells me we need to use this experience to to build disciples and to be discipled. John 6, 3, it says this. Again, open it in your Bibles, version apps, or follow along on the screens today. Next week, bring something to read. 
No, that didn't sound right. You're not going to bring something to read while Shelly's actually speaking next week. You can't do that when she speaks. She's too active. So just bring a Bible to open up when she gets to the Scriptures. All right? Um, Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. That's the sitting down and sharing part, right? It's the eating part. It's the close relationship part. The Jewish Passover festival was near. And when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And Jesus is challenging him just to make him think. Jesus didn't really worry about where to buy bread at. He didn't really have that concern, but he wanted that thought process to go out so he could train Philip, all right? And uh, kind of to, to test him for, for the future. And Philip said, it'd take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. There are 5,000 men plus their wives and children. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of food to have to have. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far are they going to go? Again, another great teaching, mentoring, discipleship opportunity for Jesus because Andrew feels comfortable enough sharing what's on his heart and say, well, here's one solution. And Jesus is able to take that and use it to train them. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Grassy hillside, lots of people. It's good. Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets. Again, Jesus mentoring, discipling, filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over uh, by those who had eaten. Now, the disciples are learning about ministry. They're learning about Jesus and about the power Jesus is modeling the power of God. He's modeling what has to happen. He's modeling how great uh, the, the, the power is and what he can do with that power and what they're going to be able to do, tapping in to Jesus' power. He didn't have them just sit back and go, anybody have a need here? Oh, good, you saw that? Okay, let's move on. He had them get involved with it. He had them working and serving and giving. And that's important to understand. Matthew 14 says this. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land. So there was a big, a big meeting, a big moment. Jesus is teaching. The disciples are out in the middle of this, uh, of this water, and a strong storm had risen. And they're fighting heavy waves. And about 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them walking on the water. Just think about that moment. These people were being discipled by Jesus They'd sat with him, they'd eaten with him, they'd talked with him. He was mentoring them. And what happens in the middle of this storm, in the middle of the water? Jesus shows up. Now, I don't know about you. I'm probably thinking, did somebody slip something in my drink? I mean, am I seeing what I think I'm seeing? Did I eat something that didn't agree with me and send me into this, you know, psychosis kind of moment right here. I mean, there's a guy walking on the water. It's a big storm. That just doesn't happen. I've never seen it. Have you seen anything like that? No. 
Because it's Jesus, and he's coming to meet their needs. When the disciples saw him walk into the water, they're terrified. They're in fear. They cried out, is it a ghost? And then Jesus speaks to them. Again, part of the mentoring discipleship process. And he said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I'm here. I mean, he's saying, listen, no matter what situation you're in, no matter how bad it looks, no matter how big the waves are, I'm here with you. And I'll always be here with you. And then Peter, again, he calls out, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Now, Jesus, supernatural. He can walk on the water, no problem. Peter, not so much right? Peter probably had to learn more than any of the other disciples in Jesus' group because he was bold, he was brash, he jumped in before he thought, he pulled the sword and cut somebody's ear off before he even thought about it. That's, that's Peter's kind of background, that's his DNA. And now he wants to jump out of the boat. And, and Jesus said, all right, here's another teaching moment. Yeah, come, come to me. Get out of the boat. Put your faith to the test. Jump out of the boat. And so Peter does. He went over the side of the boat. He walked on the water towards Jesus. And then what happens? Then he starts taking his eyes off of Jesus. That was the only way he was walking on the water was because he was focused on Jesus and Jesus' power. That's why he walked on the water. It wasn't anything that was his power. It was Jesus' power. And he takes his eyes off Jesus and he starts going, man, these waves are big. Man, this wind is howling. You know, and he's looking and all of a sudden he starts to sink. And what happens? He's going, save me. Help me. I'm going to drown if I sink, if I sink here. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. And he said this, you have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? It's an incredible teaching moment. It's an incredible discipleship moment right there, right? The conversation continues later as they're on shore and they're sitting around a meal together talking about faith and doubt and fear. That's discipleship. Look at Mark 14. Answer that, by the way, if you need to. It's okay. Mark, Mark 14. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. Do you know what leprosy is? It's a skin disease that doesn't go away. And you can transfer it to the people around you. So if you were a leper, you were isolated. It would make parts of your body fall off until eventually it killed you. If you were a leper, nobody went around you and nobody wanted to be around you. And anytime you came near people, you had to shout, unclean, unclean, unclean. So nobody would come around you and get the disease. This guy, uh, the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy, what does that tell you? It tells you that Jesus had already healed this guy. All right, so you've got to read and see where, see where that comes in. Jesus had healed him from the leprosy, and so there's already this connection there, this discipleship connection, because he healed him. And while he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she broke open the jar and poured this perfume over his head. And some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked, it could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her. Isn't it amazing 
how some people automatically go to the negative in every situation. Every, now, some of us are wired that way. I mean, that's just kind of how our minds work. But you have to learn to come out of that mindset and say, wait a minute, maybe there's a bigger picture here. Maybe there's a bigger purpose here. Maybe I have something to learn here. And instead of being negative and hateful and spiteful about something, let me step back and think and see and learn and grow. And that's where these disciples are right now. Now, could the money have been sold? Yeah. Could it have helped a lot of people? Yes. Jesus, again, he's teaching them, and he says, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you want, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Guess what we just did? We just remembered her and we're discussing her. Jesus wanted to make a point there, and it's an important point. Jesus is sitting around the table and he's teaching and he's discipling the people that are there. In Matthew 6, Jesus is setting the tone for how to live. Matthew 6, 1 through 4. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. In in other words, don't do something just so somebody will pat you on the back. Don't do something so you can get an attaboy, way to go, way to help them, way way to, you know, kind of serve. Your reward's already given. Jesus is saying, whenever you see somebody in need, you give to those needs. You help them. But it's not about you being recognized for it. It's about you serving God through it. That's part of discipleship. So he goes on to say, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Now, don't miss this. It nothing to do here about doing this in secret. It, it doesn't have anything to do with going, I'm going to serve this person, but nobody's ever going to know about it. That's not what it is. It's not about the secret part. It's about you wanting kind of the, 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 the support and the encouragement for helping somebody. It's you seeking that approval from people because you want to serve someone. He's saying, don't live life like that. This is your discipleship moment. <coughs> don't live like that. Instead, serve people because God wants you to serve and love people. That's the point of it. Now, Matthew 5 or 6, 5 through 13 goes on to say this, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. You know, people that like to pray with big words. I've been around in the church most of my life. I've seen it all. I've seen people pray these very eloquent type prayers. I've seen people pray these very wordy, high type prayers. I've seen people pray very simple type prayers. What do you gain 
If you pray a prayer like, Oh Lord, God our Father, thank you for the propitiation, for the sanctification of us having the Holy Seat to save us from our... What, what, what do you gain by that? What does that even mean? It means nothing. It means, God, thank you for being holy. How about we simplify that so it's not about us, and it's not about us being seen, but it's all about God. Then Jesus teaches them how to pray. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Listen, it's not about going into a closet and praying here, all right? Don't miss the point of the scripture. It's about not praying to be seen. It's about not praying so people notice you. It's about not praying so you look holier than the people around you. It's about simply connecting to your creator. That's what it is, all right? He says, don't be like those people. This is how you should pray. I love how Jesus, again, is discipling his disciples. This is how you pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us I know, you can use debtor, trespasses, whatever. It's the same thing. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He is spending time with his disciples. And he's discipling them how to grow spiritually. We need that. And we need to help someone else with that as well. Matthew 17 says this. At the foot of the mountain, a large crowd was waiting for them. A man came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire, into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Now, don't miss this. Jesus had discipled his disciples to heal people. He had trained them. He had shown them the power of God. He had shown them what they needed to do to be able to drive out demons and heal people's sicknesses and diseases. He had trained them on that, right? Afterwards, the disciples asked Jesus privately, why couldn't we cast out that demon? Because Jesus just said, it's gone. You're healed. Go. You're well. Why couldn't we do that? We've tried to do everything that you've taught us Why couldn't we do it? He said, you don't have enough faith. He said, I tell you the truth. If you had faith the size of a mustard seed, the smallest seed you can imagine, you could move a mountain. So the point is, they were trying to drive out demons based only on what they knew, not really with the power of God. It was by their own power. And Jesus is going, that's the wrong way to do it. Not like that. Not like that. Like this. And then they got it. It's not our power. It's your power. That's, now, now when, you, when you look at this, part of this discipleship is it's not just about learning. It's about being involved and growing the person's life, growing their faith. It's not just about doing something or getting somebody to do something It's something that all of us need to be part of. Every one of us. Discipling someone and being discipled. That's a lifelong relationship that needs to happen. 
Matthew 28. It says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, and in the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. This is called the Great Commission. All right, the end of the book of Matthew, the last chapter, Jesus is getting ready to go back to heaven, and he's giving them these final words. And usually someone's final words are usually the most important because you're gone, right? You're not going to be of the everyday relationship anymore. They want you to know this. So they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Don't miss this part. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That's not just to them, that's to us. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In other words, connecting them to Jesus, making sure they do what he wants you to do so you're fully connected in there, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I'm with you always. It's about all of us being disciples of Jesus. And it's about all of us creating disciples of Jesus. You understand this, right? There's no excuse. There's no excuse for coming to church and saying, hey, I showed up to worship today. Great. I hope you gained something. I hope something challenged you today. I hope, I hope you're growing spiritually because of the, the, the music part of the worship and you connected to God or this teaching and you're learning something to grow you deeper spiritually. But if you go home and don't do anything with it, what good is that? You show up so you can make a difference, so that you can make an impact, so that you can disciple someone. That's the whole purpose of our Christian faith. So what can we do to be disciple makers? I don't know. Maybe you look at a person and you go, I don't know how to do this. I'm not really sure. I mean, I got the, the stair step thing, so I do something. Somebody watches me. We talk. I, I, okay, I get that. But, but what does that mean? Maybe you start with something like this. Maybe you see somebody who needs their grass mowed right now because they're a widow. They're a, a widower. They can't do it themselves. Don't go and do yard work by yourself. First of all, that just doesn't make good sense. It's too hard to do all alone by yourself. Grab somebody that you want to disciple and take them with you. Why? Because you can connect. You can spend time. You can help to lead them in a better way of doing things. Plus, it makes it that much quicker to do. It makes sense. Maybe you go and visit somebody who's sick. Don't go by yourself. Take somebody with you that you want to disciple. Why? Because maybe then they can learn how to pray for someone. Maybe then they can learn how to just interact with somebody that has some needs. Maybe you go and you just see somebody and you go, you know what, let's just go to breakfast so that we can sit and talk. Build a relationship with someone. Not, not because you have to, but first of all, because maybe you connect to this person in some way and you want to disciple them for Jesus. That always has to be part of our thought process. One of my favorite scriptures where Jesus is modeling discipleship is Mark 14. If you have, if you will, grab one of these communion cups. There should be some on the chair rack in front of you if you don't have one, if you didn't grab one when you came in. This is the scripture about communion, the Lord's Supper. The disciples are in this upper room together before Jesus is crucified, and it says this in Mark 14. 
In the evening, Jesus arrived with the twelve. And as they were at the table eating, again, they're eating, they're connecting together. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you eating with me here will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, am I the one? And he replied, it's one of you twelve who is eating from this bowl with me, for the Son of Man must die as the scriptures declared long ago. He's preparing them for what's getting ready to happen. He's preparing them. He's discipling them for what's coming in the future. But how terrible it would be for one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. And as they were eating, Jesus took some bread. This is the Passover celebration. So there's bread, there's wine there. Jesus took some bread. And if you will open the bottom of the cup and take the the piece of uh, bread out. He took the bread and he blessed it. And then he broke it into pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying this, take it for this is my body. Now they didn't understand that at the moment. They understood sacrifice and they understood sin, but they didn't get the fact that Jesus was getting ready to die for their sins. His body was going to be broken for them and for us. Let's take this bread together. Turn it over and open the other side of the cup. And he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. And it's poured out as a sacrifice for many. And I tell you the truth, I'm not going to drink wine again until the day I drink it in the kingdom of God. In other words, he's discipling them again, saying, listen, this is my final time. I'm getting ready to die. I'm getting ready to die for you. I'm going back to heaven. There'll be nothing else for me to do here until I'm with God. Let's drink this together. The disciples that Jesus made changed the world. Literally changed the world. Twelve people, twelve disciples, twelve influencers who discipled and made more disciples and more disciples and more disciples. Today, my challenge for you is this. Who's discipling you and who are you discipling? It's not an option. You need to be in one of those two places so that Jesus can use your gifts and talents to impact the kingdom. I'm going to ask you to stand with me right now. I'm going to ask some of our our leaders to be down front. If you need prayed for today, if there's something happening in your life where you need some spiritual help and direction, we're going to have some people down front to pray with you. I'm going to pray over all of you right now, and then we're going to sing through this song. I ask that you sing with us as we do that. And just ask yourself the question, who's discipling me and who am I discipling? Father God, I pray for everybody in this room and everyone watching online. God, may you allow them to understand that simply showing up to church is not what it's about. It's about living our lives for you. 
It's about impacting this world for you. It's about teaching people to follow Jesus. God, thank you for loving us enough to send them. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. People down front to pray if you have a need today.